In the 17th century, there was a practice that was started um, when a country would go through something devastating. Um, they would take their flag, and instead of putting it at the very top of the flagpole, they would put it halfway, half-mast on the flagpole in order to leave room for the invisible flag of death to be able to fly above it. And to this day, the practice of half-mast flags are, are st they still go on. In the United States of America, for instance, we have flags half-mast whenever there's a tragedy, if there's a death, if there's a shooting, if there's a um, just any type of uh, just tragedy, the flag will be flown half-mast. And what I find myself in trying to um, think of something to say in light of the tragedies that here in the United States of America that we've had recently, we have, we've had many shootings, um, mass shootings, um, just senseless shootings uh, here in the United States in different states in California and Texas and Ohio and I know elsewhere, um, Chicago. Um, there's been a lot of tragedy this last week, just this week alone. What makes it difficult for me is that I was planning on doing this episode months ago. I remember going to a Walmart recently and uh, walking into the Walmart and noticing the flag outside of the Walmart at half-mast and just thinking, trying to rack my head, okay, what was the tragedy that happened in order to cause this half-mast? I was trying to think of a death or an attack, and, and I was racking my head, and I just couldn't understand w what it was. I couldn't link it back to something. And it kind of just hit me in that moment that so often that the, 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 the flag's all around us are at half mass to the point that we get desensitized. And I know for me that in the wake of tragedy, I realize just how desensitized I am. And I struggle whenever there is a mass tragedy with, um, there's, there's half of me that is very desensitized and it's almost like a reaction within me of, okay, something else happened. Just it's almost like another notch on a imaginary scorecard of just just evil things that has happened. Um, another shooting, another you know whatever it is, fill in the blank. And so there's half of me that's desensitized. The other half, it and and maybe you can relate to this. The other half of me almost wants to cry out and demand a response and demand some sort of justice in order to make right what has been made wrong. And I struggle with kind of that duality of both of those. And I know I'm not alone with this, but as I was just thinking about in the wake of the mass tragedies here in the United States, I know for me, one of the things I think about a lot um, here in Color and Chaos, the whole premise of this this podcast is that in tragedy there's color, in chaos there is color. That there is there is a presence of of our Creator, Savior, Sustainer in the worst of times, and so often we try to run away in the worst of times, and we try to just numb ourselves from the pain that we ignore the beautiful process of growth that is happening in those moments. As I was praying about what to talk about this episode. I was just thinking about that whole idea of the invisible flag of death that is flying above the, the normal country's flag um, when a flag is flying half-mast. And for a moment, I was trying to say, okay, Lord, take me outside of the mindset of a 21st century American, but instead, Lord, help me just be a human for a moment and just think about the idea of tragedy and ask myself, okay, God, are you the same 
God in triumph and in tragedy. Because at the end of the day, if, if God is just God in triumph, then the moment that tragedy happens, then everything that we've built up in our relationship with the Lord will just fall away. And so a relationship, a normal relationship doesn't work like that. If the only time that someone loves you is when things are good, that love is not not unconditional, but there's conditions to it. And the condition is, is that when things go bad, that no longer is there a love that's there between the two people. It's one of the things I think about often daily, and almost it affects everything that I say and everything that I do, is that, okay, with what I state, I have to be able to take it, we have to be able to take it to its most logical conclusion. And so what that means is that I don't want to just make blanket statements that only apply to one scenario or one situation. That when I'm talking about a creator, savior, and sustainer, at the end of the day, God is God regardless of the triumph and the tragedy. But if, if my idea of my creator, of our creator, if, if my understanding of God only makes sense in the triumph, then that's a shallow worldview. That's a shallow belief. And I don't want to have a faith in a God that is only one-sided, that when things are going good, he's present. When things are going bad, he's absent. And I, I'm racking my head saying, okay, Lord, is, there, is everything that I've said about you before this tragedy happened, does it still apply? Does it still apply? It's interesting because when I look at the scripture, I see other people doing the exact same thing, going through the exact same mental process of saying, okay, God, I'm trying to understand and wrap my head around this brokenness that I'm experiencing. And Lord, I want to know if you are the same Lord that I've experienced earlier. And so for instance, like even just randomly flipping through Psalms, I landed on Psalm 63. And in this, David is crying out to God. And he says, just in one verse, one verse, this is what David says. He says, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. Oh God, you are my God. David's saying, okay, God, you are my God, but I am searching for you. My whole body longs for you and I'm parched and I'm in this weary land and there is no water. So David isn't, isn't throwing out his hurt or his pain, but he's bringing his pain to God and he's saying, okay, where are you? I'm searching for you. Yes, you are my God, but I can't find you right now. And then he goes on to say that I'm longing for you. I, I thirst for you. He equates his longing and his desire for the presence of his creator, savior, sustainer. He's, he's equating it to the longing for water in, in, in which what we need in order to survive. So David is saying, look, I am searching for you as if I'm going to die if I don't find you. I used to find it strange that in one of my favorite passages in the scripture, which is Psalms 139, I used to find it strange that in the midst of everything that, that David is saying in this, in this psalm, he has this random part, and it's just like four verses, this random part where he starts just going, going crazy, talking about those that are, that are just wicked, and Lord, won't, won't you destroy them? Won't you cut them off? And I used to find it kind of strange and embarrassing that in the midst of this beautiful psalm where, where David's talking about, even the first verse, oh Lord, you have examined my heart. You know me, everything about me. 
You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you see my thoughts from afar, even when I'm far away. It keeps going, 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 going. And it's just beautiful and beautiful just talking about the omniscience of God and just the omnipresence of God and how God is present even no matter where we go. If we go to the bottom of an ocean, God is still God. And when we go to the heights of Mount Everest, God is still God. There's nothing we can do to escape him. Then all of a sudden you get down to verse 19. And this is what David says. He says, Oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those that hate you? Shouldn't I despise those that oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred for your enemies are my enemies. I used to find that really strange, but the more that I walk with the Lord, the more that I see that in this whole passage, David is reflecting on the presence of God and the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. And David, he, he, David can't just talk about the goodness of God without talking about the presence of evilness. And when he thinks about the goodness of God, it stands in sharp contrast to the brokenness that he observes all around him and even within him. And, and I'm seeing that more and more, the humanity in this, in this psalm. And likewise, in tragedy, God is still God. But, he, but, but it's, it's difficult because I'm trying to rationalize, okay, Lord, God of blessings, God of, of, of uh, the healer of broken hearts, God of deliverance, Lord, where are you in the midst of pain and death and decay and tragedy and shootings and murder and all of this just ugly, vile stuff? Where are you in the midst of divorce? Where are you in the midst of, of just rape or incest? Where are you in all this vile stuff that is, that is all around us every single day here and in, this, in this planet that we are placed in, that we can't escape from even if we tried? Lord, where are you, when you're, where are you in the midst of this? And, and I can't help but just see, okay, David is on to something here. He's saying, okay, God, and when I focus on the God of triumph, I also see the God of tragedy, and I'm asking the God of triumph to be God in the midst of tragedy. And what's really interesting is that he's talking about the magnitude of God. God, you know me, and you searched me, and even when I was in my mother's womb, you've known me, and you, you, you were there and present. And then he goes on to talk about the brokenness of other people that he observes. But then my favorite part of all of the Bible, Psalms 139, 23, 24. This is what David says. He takes his attention away from the tragedy outside and he focuses inward. He takes away his attention from the tragedy inside and he focuses inward and says, okay, Lord, search me, oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me in your path everlasting. He says, lead me in your way everlasting. Lead me on the path of everlasting life. In the midst of tragedy, there's, there's many ways that we can respond, many ways that I can respond, whether it's a national tragedy or a world tragedy or just a personal tragedy that is going on within your heart right now. There's, there's many ways that we can respond, but two ways kind of stand out in my mind that I know that are ways that I respond sometimes when I'm going through a hurt or a tragedy. One of the ways that I sometimes respond is I allow the brokenness to kind of overtake me. My thoughts, my heart, my attention is focused on the brokenness that is going on in my life. And when that happens, I stop focusing on the fact that I have a deliverer 
And that deliverer has is, is literally the cure and the remedy of this brokenness if we will choose to allow him to be the Lord of our life and the Lord of the situation that we are going through. When I allow brokenness to overtake me, I stop looking to the cure because I am so overwhelmed by the brokenness itself. And another way that I see that sometimes I respond in tragedy is except for letting the brokenness overtake me, I start to allow the brokenness to highlight the contrast that the brokenness is is in such contrast to the beauty of my Savior. And except for trying to make sense out of the brokenness, I start to try to understand more the beauty of my Savior. Because the more that I understand the beauty of my Savior, the more that I can that I understand the reality that this brokenness doesn't even light a candle to the magnitude and mightiness of my God. And except for looking towards the remedy, we start to look and be so overwhelmed by the sirens and the alarms and the brokenness around us that we sometimes just fall to our knees and give in to the numbness and the desensitization that happens in the midst of tragedy. What's crazy is that there's two ways of looking at that psalm. One way is to see David in his hurt crying out to God. The other way is to look and say, okay, our Savior quoted that exact psalm and, and was, was, was reciprocating the exact same feeling of agony on the cross. Jesus on the cross, after, he, after it was done and he, and, and, he, and, he, and he bled for our transgressions and he became a curse for us, he cried out and said, I thirst, I thirst. And the Roman soldiers thought that he literally meant like, I thirst. But what, they, what Jesus was pointing back to was what David was saying, that when all of our sin was placed onto Christ, Christ thirsted. He thirsted for God because in that moment, the, God was not there. That because of the sin that was put on Christ, God had to turn his back from his son, which, which blows my mind to even fathom. But literally, God himself became a curse for us. And as he was a curse for us, God himself had to turn his presence away from himself. I can't even fathom that. But on the cross, Jesus cried out, said, I thirst, I thirst. He didn't thirst for water. He thirsts for the presence of God. And I'm reminded that in tragedy, that we have a suffering servant that died for that tragedy and that, that all that hurt and that pain and that, that chaos within our hearts when we are in the midst of tragedy, that we have a savior that knows that tragedy well because he died covered in all of that hurt and all of that pain and all of that tragedy and all of that brokenness and all of that sin. He died and yet he overcame death. That he looked at that tragedy and he said, no more, no more. I will have the last words. And he defeated that tragedy three days later, rising again from the tomb. And he defeated it on the cross when he took all of that, all of the punishment, all of the wrath of God that should be placed on us for our tragedy was placed on him. I also felt led to share um, something that I read today just in my personal quiet time as I was just spending time seeking the Lord in the scripture. Um, there's a verse or there's a passage that I re- read in, in Mark 3. And um, I read this before even feeling led to go in this direction that I did with today's podcast. Um, but this is something I feel very led to read now because I feel like it applies to what we're talking about 
And um, so I want to read this. This is Mark 3, verse 20, and I want to read down um, to 27. So this is what uh, this is what it says in Mark 3, verse 20. One time, Jesus entered a house, and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to, to take him away, saying, He is out of his mind. But the teachers of religious law who had arrived in Jerusalem said, He's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets his power to cast out demons. But Jesus called them over and responded with the illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan, he said. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He will never survive. Let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. I wanted to read that to say this, heavy heart. You may feel so overtaken by brokenness, by hurt, by pain, by shame, by regret, by embarrassment, by tragedy. You may feel so broken beyond repair. We have a God that became flesh and dwelt among us. And he overcame the, the strength of the enemy and sin and shame and brokenness and our sin. He overcame it. Christ is stronger than any tragedy that we go through. But sometimes we are so deceived by the tragedy that we fail to see and look to him who is victorious and stronger than anything, anything that the enemy can throw at us. There is no tragedy that our Savior did not overcome. Heavy heart, rest easy, not in your own understanding of this tragedy or your own strength or your own ability, but rest easy in the Savior that overcame. Jesus in this illustration, he's saying that, look, okay, you're looking at me saying that the only reason why I can do good is from the enemy. But he's saying, look, the only reason why I can do good is because I'm stronger than the enemy. I can cast out demons because I'm stronger than the demons. And likewise, in the, same, in the same way, he is stronger than any tragedy that you may be going through, that we may go through. But we have an enemy that wants to deceive us and say, no, 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 no. your God is not God over this. You might have thought he was God over that, but he's not God over this. But heavy heart, I want to let you know that he is God over this, just like he was God over that. And he is powerful and he is mighty to save. He is mighty to save, no matter the half-mast that we go through or the half-mast, just the gloominess over our lives right now. Heavy heart, rest easy. He is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. We have a God that knows what the half-mast feels like from the inside out. And so we have a God that empathizes in our hurts and in our pains heavy heart. My hope and my prayer, not only for you, but for me, is that when there is tragedy, we lean into the everlasting God and we get to know him more and in a more genuine way that goes beyond just triumphs, but says, okay, God, I want to know you in good and bad and, and, and happy and in sad and, and in, in, in beautiful and in ugly. Lord, I want to know you fully. I don't want to just have a one-sided view of you that fades when things happen. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I don't want to say cliches 
that only apply in one circumstance, in one situation. If I look at the word and I see God is good, does that apply even in the worst tragedy? I want it to. I want it to. We should want it to. And that's not going to happen by just knowing information about God through the scripture, but it happens through having a relationship where we can do what David did and do what Jeremiah did and do what so many others, do what even Christ did on the cross and lament and cry out to God and say, God, where are you? We have to be able to process our emotions in a way that is honest and transparent and not just to cover it up or band-aid or desensitize or just mask or numb ourselves from the pain that we are experiencing and our questions and our doubts that we have towards our creator, savior, and sustainer in the midst of those tragedies. May we not run away from that which makes us uncomfortable, but may we run to the one that, that offers the cure and the solution to that uncomfortability and that hurt Because at the end of the day, we weren't made, we weren't created from the foundations of time to endure this pain of sin. But instead, we were made to be in fellowship with God. So whenever there's brokenness of sin in our own lives or externally that we notice, there is going to be a pain that is produced. But we, looking at ourselves, cannot be able to truly understand how to respond But instead, we can look to the God who overcame that sin in order to say, okay, Lord, you, you, you are who and and where and my focus should be on, not the brokenness, not the brokenness, God. And instead, instead of focusing on this brokenness, Lord, help me process this brokenness through the lens of you. Help me go to you in your word, not just trying to look for a remedy, but instead looking for the living God to make sense out of this brokenness and also make sense of the cure. Because at the end of the day, they go hand in hand. We don't understand our need for a savior until we realize that we are dead in our sin. That somehow we have a God that chose to, to show us his goodness through our brokenness. So in our brokenness, may we not let the brokenness have the final word, but Lord, help us, help us look to you in our brokenness and our hurt and our pain and our confusion and our doubts and our question and our tragedy. When the flag of our hearts is half mast, Lord, help us look to you and you alone. Help you be where our focus and our heart and our cry and our prayers and our doubts and our confusions are directed towards Lord, you are where our solution is found for this brokenness of our heart. It's not found in politics. It's not found in placing blame in other things or other people. But Lord, it is found in taking responsibility over our brokenness that stems from a life that is hell-bent away from you from birth. Jesus, we need you so bad. We need you so bad. Lord, I ask and we ask right now in this moment, Lord, please be with those that, that have been affected by these just, just senseless just acts of evilness all around the globe, God. From the genocide to the shootings, to the murder, to the rapes, to the, to, to the brokenness around our communities, our nations, and, and our, just our globe, Lord, Please, Lord, please draw us to you. Draw us to you. You are our hope. You are our refuge. You are our strength. You are our song. You are where our joy is found. Lord, help us stop looking at this land of death for life. But Lord, help us look to you, 
the living savior for life. Lord, may our attention not be on this graveyard, but may it be on your resurrected son. And that is you, Jesus. We need you. We look to you. Lord, you are the cure of the sin in my heart, in my life, the brokenness and the, and just the, just the, just the numbness that is the result of the fall. Lord, my heart cries out for those that just feel so overwhelmed. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. Lord, there is not a community that will fix the brokenness within their heart. There is not a remedy that will fix that brokenness in their heart. There is not a a friendship or a a self-help motivational guide that can fix the brokenness in their heart. But the only thing that can fix brokenness is, is the victor of brokenness. And that is you, Jesus. We look to you. We look to you. We look to you, Lord whatever you have to do to get our attention so that we stop looking to ourselves to fix the problems that are in front of us. But we look to you and we say, Lord, how can we be conduits of what you want to do here as it is in heaven? Jesus, 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 God, we need you. We need you. Lord, I pray for those that are listening or watching us right now and whatever they may be going through, Lord, I pray that they know, that they know that they know that they can be safe as they bring their hearts to you, no matter what they're going through. In the triumphs and the tragedies, God, you are still God and you are still present and you are still active. And dare I say, you are still good. You are working out all things for the good of those that are called according to your purpose. Lord, I wanna believe your scripture no matter what. Lord, I wanna believe that there is a truth that goes beyond my understanding of it. Lord, help that be true in our lives, God. Lord, our emotions, our understanding is deceitful and shallow at best. And it it fluctuates like the waves in the sea. But Lord, may we look to your truth to be the anchor of our souls, the anchor of our hearts, the anchor of our lives, God. May everything that we go through be viewed through the lens of your son and your word. Jesus, we look to you. We need you, Lord. Lord, be with those affected by these tragedies in El Paso and in Dayton and in California. Lord, please, God, please draw near to them. Draw near to them, Lord. Lord, Lord, I just pray for mercy Lord, in the news organizations that are making a living out of these tragedies, and they are just constantly just 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 allowing this this these these tragedies to be what fuels their viewerships. Lord, I just pray, I just pray for repentance. Lord, I pray for the attention to be put on you and not on us, God. Please, Lord, just this broken system of a world that we live in. That that just that that benefits from others' tragedies. God, please let it stop. Let it stop. Let it stop, and let it start with me, God. Let it start with us, Lord. Let the brokenness break our hearts for what breaks yours, God. But may we look to you, who overcame our brokenness on the cross, and three days later rose again. And on the cross, you said it is finished, and you forgave us of that brokenness. And that forgiveness sets us free from the chains that are brokenness and our sin just cast upon our lives, God. May we be set free today from the external circumstances that are weighing us down. May we be set free from our, 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 our petty understanding of, of how to get out of these external circumstances that are weighing us down. Jesus, we look to you in the half-mast. 
Lord, we need you. We need you. We need you. In your name we pray and we surrender. Amen.